We're measuring it in dollars, right? We're operating on, on a system that is designed to devalue the actual base currency, right? So going back to the devaluation of time. So this is where, like for me, I, I became passionate about Bitcoin because I said, this is just not right. The ideals that my family came over to the United States with were the right ideas. Work hard, provide value, be able to provide for your family, right? And after my research and, and viewing and understanding of Bitcoin, Bitcoin allows me to return to those ideals that my family came over here with. Seeing you here in the podcast. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I was uh, thank I you was for very being pleased. here. I love it. I love having a guest who we can discuss more about Bitcoin topic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm learning learning more every day. That's for sure. For those of you guys who don't know, Julian has a podcast as well. He have a channel called Weekly Hodo. And he will share about the channel and everything around it more in this episode. If you like the channel, please subscribe to him. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, sh the show is primarily just to kind of document Bitcoin adoption on a weekly basis. Um, I think it's easy to get caught up in the weeds of the price action of Bitcoin when in reality it's changing so many things and it's being adopted at an exponential rate. And if you're able to keep your eyes on the actual uh, movement in the space rather than the movement of the price, it allows you to have a clear head when investing and trying to understand the technology. Um, and I've also been so lucky as to have on some really incredible guests uh, over the last couple months. And that's been a joy to, to kind of hear some expert opinions. Um, and so once a week, And I that intrigues out. me a lot. So your channel isn't that big as the other channels that your guests actually be into. Yeah, I feel like Bitcoiners are uh, of a type that are kind of like CrossFitters and or people that eat keto or are <laughs> vegan. Like people that are Bitcoiners uh, and that believe in Bitcoin want to talk about it all the time under like almost any circumstance, right? There is no person uh, who is a vegetarian and he doesn't mention it <laughs> on the first place, right? Hey, I'm vegetarian, by the way. Exactly, right? And I think the common factor there is that, you know, all of those types of people believe that that path is a path that is good for everybody and that everybody should, generally speaking, you know, you know, choose whether or not they want to go down that path. But the first thing is getting educated on it and understanding it. And so a lot of people feel like it's their role to help educate people on it. And uh, so I've been lucky enough to basically just, you know, reach out to these people. And, and most of them are just so kind with their time to say, hey, you know, listen, we think that this is something good for humanity. Uh, and if you have an audience of one person all the way to 100,000 people, Uh, you know, we're willing to kind of help you on your journey uh, to help the world on this journey of kind of a, a better, more hopeful path. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. And um, that's why you're here, because my audience probably doesn't know much about Bitcoin. Yeah. And I'm passionate about it. Yeah. 
it's for me it's like a religion it's like code it's something that i dream and i live with it i it's like a lifestyle and uh i'm glad that you hear so my audience can hear more about bitcoin from a first place in your in your face like, yeah absolutely i mean that's how we got to know each other how, right we, yeah we I, first met it. and that's how we met each other yeah in in chicago there is a bit devs conference happening every month is it the first thursday of the second thursday of every month second thursday of every month there is blockchain developers or people who want to discuss primary only bitcoin blockchain what happening there and to try to understand it and grow from there yeah and it's a great place to kind of network with other like-minded individuals and and kind of again keep keep up with what's going on in the space and the development and you know to make sure that your investment if you're investing uh you know that your investment thesis is kind of uh you know solid in its in its grounding um and you know for me you know i started my podcast uh with a buddy of mine um and it came about because in 2017 i first heard about bitcoin um i had a buddy who had a friend who sent him some bitcoin he didn't really know much about it he just you know had some bitcoin and you know price ran up and he was telling everybody about you know this bitcoin that he had and the price is going up on it and you know, I kind of paid attention to it a little bit and I threw it on my stock tracker, you know, just just to to watch its movement and try to better understand it through its volatility and how it moves. Um, and I watched that big run up to about eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars in two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen, yes. December yeah. or something was the big crash. Yeah. A- and I had always said to myself when that happened, I said, you know what? I think, you know, I'm going to keep watching this thing. And if it ever, like, comes back down to, like, four, forty five hundred, something like that, I would consider buying some Bitcoin. Um, and I left it on my tracker. Didn't hear much people talk about it anymore. Uh, you know, the price started to crash. It kind of went off the news. Um, you know, now we know that as a, as a time to... It's a, accumulate. Yeah, it's time to accumulate time. and work hard. Uh, and start saving uh, again. But, um, you know, 2020 rolled around. Uh, the pandemic began. Uh, early stages, I was kind of aware of what was going on and sensitive to the subject and saw the stock market kind of doing, uh, you know, moving its way down. And I started kind of researching. I, I hadn't really done a lot of research on investing at all or anything like that. And I started watching YouTube videos and uh, trying to understand what a, you know, a balanced portfolio looks like and, um, you know, watched a ton of videos. And, and then we had the big dump in like March, I think like March, like 27th, March 30th or March 28th I, or something like that. I remember, ah, you're talking about the first dump of the pandemic when yeah, it hit. When it hit rock bottom. Yes. And, and my my family is, uh, my father is Lebanese. Um, so okay. I come from uh, a family that put a high value on uh, working hard and saving, you know. And I always thought that that was... The way to prosperity, you know. 
Yeah. Um, and my family owns restaurants. So they, okay. they own nine restaurants in Northeast Ohio called Yours Truly. Uh, and it's been in the family now for, uh, I believe, over 40 years, 80, 87. So you guys have a restaurant cha- chain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all family, family owned. Um, and is it Middle, uh, Middle East uh, food? Kitchen? No, you know, so there is some Middle Eastern influence. But it's not Middle Eastern food. It's more like an American-style diner. You know, open up early in the morning for breakfast. Oh, my gosh. I love this diner. Yeah. It's, That's it's, so good. It's so good. I wish there was better places here in Chicago. I will honestly. show you one. I will show you one. It's next door. We'll we go can after. go eat that. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. we have, we're going to go. Um, but, yeah, so like mom and pop-style diner, um, you know, they really, what they really bring to the table is just the hospitality that the Middle Eastern culture is, is known for. Yeah, um, you know they never really understood why it was so successful, and not until I got to travel to Lebanon a couple times did I realize that, you know, the real hospitality. Yeah, is it southern? Like a like a? No, it's it, it's. I feel like it's more than southern. I mean, it's literally you know, come back. You know, thank you for coming. Remember everybody's name. Remember their orders. You know, you bring out their coffee before they even ask for it because you know, you know, that they're going to order the coffee. And my family's always there, too. You know, so you know that the owner has a vested interest versus, you know, some in, in big cities like this, you've got venture capitalists and restaurants and nobody who actually owns the restaurant operating it. So anyways, um, grew up, grew up kind of uh, in, in that uh, in that situation, uh, and that I always thought that you know work hard, save money, and that'll get you to where you need to be, you know. And for me, I I found that I you know went went to school. I was a Division One athlete. played played football at Bowling Green State University. Uh, ran into some issues with grades and things like that. Had to put that aside and concentrate on school. Um, and, and realized that when it was time to concentrate on school, that just being hardworking, you can outwork and outclass 95% of the population. You know? Yeah. You can be an A-plus student when you're graded on a curve for just putting in a little effort because the rest of the world doesn't like to give effort. But also you have to have the vision of why doing it. Yeah. Because at some point, that's what happened in 2020. We had the vision of saving the money, making the bank, of working hard. And now we're seeing our money in the bank are not our money. They are being eaten by inflation. Yeah, We have no control over everything. Like That put me on the realization of, I don't want to work for money. I want to work for something I like to do. I want to do something. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, moving forward back to that 2020 period, or I had saved money with intention to, at some point, hopefully be able to buy into my family's restaurants. And honestly, you know, after some discussions here and there, it didn't seem like the path was very clear to me. Um, so when the opportunity came, 2020, everything kind of crashed. Um, I didn't think that the world was ending. I thought that we were just going through a tough period of time. Uh, and I thought that there was an over kind of correction in, in stocks and everything. So um, I, I, I bought into some, um, you know, some stocks here and there and also bought my first Bitcoin. Nice. Yeah. And 
So I buy Bitcoin. It goes from, I think I bought it at 4,000, something like that. So when, when our guest is saying that he bought his, his first Bitcoin, that doesn't mean he bought one entire Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of Bitcoin and say, I have a Bitcoin. You can own a 0.1 part of the Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Bitcoin is divisible to 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, which is the smallest denomination called a Satoshi, right? Um, but for this purpose, I did buy a full Bitcoin. Nice. <laughs> I said, I nice. buy a Bitcoin uh, and quickly it appreciates, right? As, as things start to bounce back, like the rest of the market. Uh, and I watch it go to 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, and I'm like, I'm out. Oh, my gosh. I sell my Bitcoin, okay? Um, and I'm like, boom, so made over 100, you know. You came for the money. Yeah. That's how we all end up being, being here. <laughs> a- absolutely. So I sell, I sell my Bitcoin. Uh, I have no Bitcoin, but I've doubled my money. You know, yeah. I've got nine thousand uh, dollars uh, sitting in my at this point like Robinhood account, yeah. right? which now I know better than to kind of like buy at Robinhood and keep my Bitcoin on yeah. an exchange, yes. which we can get into further uh, down the way. And then I watch it go to ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> how did you feel? About <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about it? So no, I, and how I felt about it is I'm like, I need to educate myself. Yeah, more. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, okay, I don't know what it is. At first, I bought in purely for speculation. I said, all right, I got to start. Uh, I got to start watching YouTube videos. So that's my primary way that I get information on things that I don't know about. Um, and so I start watching YouTube videos about it. Um, I think I ran into like Anthony Pompliano, uh, started watching some of his videos start hearing about a book called The Bitcoin Standard that people are frequently referencing as a good starting point to read. Um, and you are too? You are recommending it? Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. The Bitcoin Standard is a, a great place uh, to begin. A fellow Lebanese uh, gentleman by the name of Seyfedin Amous, um, he's since come out with a second book called The Fiat Standard, which I'm currently getting through right now. But um, so... You know, I watch these videos, I start, I read the Bitcoin standard, I read the original white paper uh, from Satoshi Nakamoto, um, and I just, it changes my mind about the way things are kind of running, right? Like, I mean, it kind of exposes the system that we're currently living in uh, and, and the reason for the boom and bust cycles and it, it paints a picture of a world where your value or your efforts and money is simply just a description of more or less energy, right? So your money is just something that you're given that represents your productive value to society. And you're given that in, in exchange for your time or a product that you've created or knowledge or whatever that might be. And the key component of that money is the energy behind is, is the energy behind it. And that that energy is the same energy five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And it paints a picture that something like inflation that is essentially uh, devaluing 
especially monetary inflation, right, or debasement of a currency when we print money, um, that that is devaluing your time and your effort. They're, so they're stealing your time, your, your energy. Time. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is you're saving your energy from your early 20s of your hard work into Bitcoin. And when you are old enough, you have your energy collected from your young ages, yeah. basically. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend who, and he wasn't even speaking about Bitcoin, but he said that his expectation of money, he says, I'm just a plumber. You know, I work on toilets yeah. all day. <laughs> okay. And my expectation, or what I think money should be, is that, you know, I'm getting older, and at some point I need to retire. And I won't want to know or need to know that my efforts to fix a toilet today, in my old age, when I can't get on my knees to do, uh, fix my own toilet, that I can pay somebody the same amount of money, however that might be denominated, to have my toilet fixed tomorrow. And, and that kind of resonated with me, you know, just from a standpoint of, you know, the it, money needs to hold its value over, over time and space. And if it's not doing that, it's not the right money. So with going into the Bitcoin and trying to read more about it, you have to understand what is money first. Yes. Yep. You and have to understand where money comes from and where it money comes from. Like, can you explain to our um, get our listeners more about it? Yeah, so I wouldn't, uh, again, I don't think that I'm necessarily an expert in anything uh, but, but my fiat job at this point. Um, so this is just a passion for me. But, um, you know, money, and, and again, this, this journey of kind of learning about Bitcoin takes you down all these different paths. You know, what, what is money? What is inflation? What is economics? <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, what is value? It makes you kind of rethink uh, everything because we're born into a system. You know, whether you're Bulgarian, whether you're Lebanese. Right now, the Lebanese currency is devaluing uh, at an incredible rate. Right. I think there was two hundred some percent inflation this year, or no, that number's off. It was it was like eighty to ninety percent inflation. Um, but you're born into this system, and it's all you know. So to rethink it or to believe that there's a better way is hard without having a full kind of grasp on things. So this, this Bitcoin path takes you down a journey of learning so many different things, right? And all of the good Bitcoin books start off with, what's money? Yeah. You know? And they start back... All the way back when, uh, you know, we have little indigenous groups that use things like seashells or beads as denomination for value, you know. And the idea that, hey, listen, somebody can, uh, you know, if you had to do everything to provide uh, how you live, it would take forever for you to grow coffee beans so you can have your coffee in the morning uh to uh be an ironsmith to make your yeti mug or whatever type of mug you have yes um to building the wood table that we're working on it would just be kind of impossible to do everything you need so the world needed bartering right 
So you have somebody that... Going to do this job. Yeah, do this job. I'm going to specialize, right? I'm going to create a table. How about you just make the coffee beans and then you can trade me coffee beans for a table. Or you can trade me, you know, your chickens that you... Um, Produce. You know, yeah, that you farm or whatever, that you, you, you grow um, for this or that. And then it gets to a point of, yeah, that's all well and good, but what if I want this table, but you don't need chickens? You yeah, know, I have like, enough chickens. Yeah, I have enough chickens. I don't need that. But it's like, okay, well, I need this table. So then, you know, you're getting into like three-way trades, like crazy basketball type stuff to be able to kind of accommodate your needs, right? Yes. And so the idea is, hey, let's create some sort of intermediary system or in this case a ledger right that says you've provided value here uh, i've provided value here let's exchange this value uh so a medium of exchange right um that we're creating here and so things like seashells and beads were used in different uh you know in different groups over society and what they found is that those worked pretty well uh, until outsiders came in and, and introduced themselves. Many seashells. Yeah, and they go, oh my gosh, this is their currency? Yes. We've got millions of these on our beach over in England, yeah. you know, or over in Bulgaria or over wherever, you know? And they said, um, well, why don't we just go home and grab a bunch of those and then, you know, we'll be the central power here when we come. And, and so... That brings in the idea of scarcity, right? So like something, uh, what makes a good money? So that was a good money until it was brought to their attention that, hey, this is not actually scarce. So it's not a good representation of your value because it can be devalued with the introduction of new units of, of that currency, right? And so over the years, uh, as things transition, um, the number one thing that was kind of globally recognized as being scarce, hard to produce, limited, somewhat divisible, um, as in, you know, it doesn't have to be like, uh, there was one society that used giant rocks. Yeah. Right? That they talk about. I believe China was uh, doing uh, rice because it's so much uh, of uh, little pieces that you can divide it easily and be like, I can give you that much rice and you can do it. Yeah. Rather than the gold now, nowadays that you cannot like uh, scrub out of it a little bit and be like, here goes some powder. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. So, so they end up kind of landing, you know, for thousands of years on the idea of gold because gold is rare. It's hard to find, you know, they can... It's somewhat divisible, right? You don't have to, you can melt it down into certain different sizes uh, and use the weight. Uh, it's, it's fungible uh, for the most part. You know, now there's fool's gold and things like that that you need to be careful of, but more or less you can recognize it and understand as long as you weigh it, it's worth this much. So it's something that's been used over history over and over again. Um, but back to this point of devaluation, um, there are certain aspects of gold that are, haven't really been able to keep up necessarily with society, right? Um, and there's always this 
feeling of uh, you know central powers that distribute these coins and things like that, um, and that end up trying to benefit themselves by saying, hey, you know what, this coin is one ounce, but hey, we're going to shave off a little bit and put these ridges all the way around it and keep some of that gold for ourselves and issue it and still say it's one ounce or whatever, whatever the denomination is. Um, and so there's just been kind of this um, historical system of even devaluing gold. Uh, and now over the period of the last 120 years or so, we've seen the issue of centralization of gold um, become an issue because as as our markets develop and as commerce develops, we need to and we want to move money around quicker and faster and we're operating on specifically now, right? We operate on the internet. So how are you going to send gold, the, the bearer instruments, like the asset directly across the internet? Like there's no, there's no way to do that, right? To the spaceship. How can we go to another planet with the spaceship <laughs> loaded up with gold and be like, come on, let's go. And it's so like heavy that we cannot even take off. Yeah. It should be something something digital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it makes sense now, but I mean, like, you know, 1920s and, and 1971, there's a website uh, that's fun to visit that's called What Happened in 1971. Um, and... You know, a after World War One, we had gold basically centralized in the United States over a period of time. And we said, hey, we're going to create a standard. And this standard is going to say that. 1971? What happened in 1971? Yeah. American history. Is that about Nixon? Pull that up. Yep, absolutely. June 10, the U.S. ends its trade embargo of China. June so, no, 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 no. Scroll down a little bit. There you go. What the... WTF happened in 1971. Okay. So this is just like a bunch of charts of basically, like this first chart is showing the productivity of uh, the general person going up exponentially, right? Because technology is deflationary, so we're able to produce more with less yes. as, as human beings, but the compensation has not increased at the same amount. And so this goes through and has just like probably over a hundred charts of how things have gotten dislocated since 1971. And so before we get to 1971, let's talk about after, uh, after world, uh, world war two. Right. Okay. So we have gold essentially ends up getting centralized in Fort Knox or, or in the United States. And the system that gets created out of the war says, Hey, we're going to issue us dollar bill notes because they're easier to distribute and move around than, uh, than gold, that are basically going to be bit backed by the gold that is held within our vaults. And every other c country is more or less going to have their currencies pegged to the U.S. dollar. So by virtue of that, their currencies are pegged to gold. Because the dollar represents the backup of the, of the gold they, they held. Yeah, Okay. And again, they're using gold as a peg because it's scarce and it holds monetary properties that make it a sound uh, hard money. So, so the institutions are basically saying, that's the paper. You have to trust this paper 
and trust our word that behind this paper is actual gold. Yeah, exactly. And, and and at that time it was redeemable for gold. So you could take your dollar bills and you could go and you could exchange it for the amount of gold. I forget what the exchange rate was at the at the time being. Um, again, I'm not a historian or an expert. This is just oh kind my of gosh, you are educating us a lot, and the way you are uh, starting from the beginning till now, it's definitely uh, opening the eyes for sure for the how money are growing and where we are right now. Yeah. So hopefully, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know this promise moves along, and again the tendency of money when it's centralized is to take advantage of that system, right? Uh, and so the U.S. over a period of time began to basically put more dollars in circulation uh, than gold backing the dollars, right? Because yeah. it behooves them. They yeah. want to make some international trade. They want to buy oil. They want to do whatever. And with things priced in dollars, if they can print more... They're essentially devaluing everybody else's currency as well as their own, uh, but they have the money then to pay for it, right? And so countries started to more or less get wind of this. And I think the around 1971, uh, France and several other countries started to say, hey, you know what? I don't need your dollars. Give me the gold back. Yeah. Give me the gold back. And... The U.S. more or less said, "Okay, this was the first real default of the United States, right?" Did they not say, "Okay," and I'll give you the gold back? And they started giving gold backs to the countries they asked for. And at some point, Nixon stopped that and said, "Okay, we already proved you. We have the gold you guys ask for. Yeah, stop asking for this gold, and now just get the dollars and let's continue working." Yeah. And and so his his way of basically not defaulting on their promises, on their paper no promises, was to say, we're detaching from the gold standard. It's no longer redeemable for, for gold, right? Um, and so now we're about 50 years in, 51 years in. <laughs> Printing. <laughs> We're, we're, we're 51 years in, and we have no basis for what our money uh, is really valued at, right? Uh, and so all of those charts on uh, WTF, uh, what happened, happened in, in uh, 1971, show kind of a detachment of value um, from effort and all these other things, right? Um, and so... So people being less productive, you mean? Um, no. So I'm saying people are being more productive, but the value they're being issued is not, it, it does not move at the same rate of, as the production. Okay. So that first chart we looked at said something like 200 some, um, yeah, we, we can look at this, right? 246% increase in productivity. And again, if money is just representation of your value and productiveness to society, how come we're now getting half as much compensation as productivity that we're providing for the world? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's kind of a dislocation there. And um, 
So for me, this was something that kind of going back to uh, the realization in school that if I, if I work hard, I produce more than 95% of the world. And so, you know, I went and I got my master's. I got a good paying job. I worked hard. I saved. I put away in my 401k. I do everything that I'm supposed to be doing. And feeling like, uh, you know, well, my parents owned a big house when they were 25, you know, 26, 27 years old. I don't have a house yet. It seems But kind I of work far harder out of reach. than them, probably. Yeah, well, I work. I'm, I'm never going to say I work harder than my parents, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> my dad's still working, working hard to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they work very hard, right? But just getting further and further away from kind of the American dream, the American ideals that that are put out there. That if you, you know, you work hard, you provide value, you can have a fulfilling life with the things you need to provide for a family here. Um, and so I keep seeing these things kind of like get further and further and further out of reach. And it's a little discouraging, right? Um, the but but let's, let's say it this way. By the time your dad and your parents were your age right now or 25, um, they didn't have that many opportunities where to spend the money. They didn't have options to travel much or that was super extra expensive that was like just for the rich guys yeah and you are a working class or uh, trying to get middle class and be like i can go vacation once a year or something nowadays the poorest the lower class they can afford things that a thousand years ago kings didn't have uh, my point is right now it's a lot of options to spend your money and you don't save and that's why you don't focus just on buying a house yeah because you want to do other things well you know and i would say going back to technology kind of being deflationary that like technology allows for the cost of those things to come closer to zero right to get closer and closer because your your television that you have a flat screen television that's providing a a picture that's exponentially better than the television that your parents used and it's produced at a fraction of the cost right and a fraction of the effort but we we end up paying more for these things and it, and it's not it's not a function of you know the production being more expensive right there's no physical labor going into creating a television you, you it's know, all the, machines yeah it's all it's all machines right this technology allows us to produce things should be being produced faster quicker cheaper yeah right so everything should be coming down in, in cost but in reality we're in the system where we think that you know two percent inflation is a goal right from our from the fed in the united states they say we want to keep inflation around two percent Now we're at 9.1% as of this month, but it, it technically it's probably more, but they changed the way that they calculate the, the, CPI the, yeah, the CPI, right? But the amount of money that has been printed, right? Like the true meaning of in, inflation, the amount of money in circulation, your piece of the pie gets smaller and smaller. So things become more and more expensive, right? 
So in 1971 or 1980, I think, you know, the average house cost in the United States was around $42,000, $43,000 for a home. The average home income was around um, 20,000, I think. 20,000, okay. And so now we're at a place where, you know, housing prices are coming down sharply because we're having quite an unwind begin right now. But, you know, houses were closer to 400,000 on average. average. Yeah. Yeah. And the average salary in the United States was 60,000. So again, that's another one of those dislocations of what happened. You know, why are houses, if we can make the wood cheaper, if we can more efficiently build a house, um, if the technology, everything that goes into making that house is is cheaper and more efficient, then why is the house, you know, 10 times more expensive? And why are my wages only three times higher? Okay, is it because we're measuring it in dollars or because of the inflation that it, the, the currency collapses? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it, it, it's, it's because we're, I mean, we're measuring it in dollars, right? We're operating on, on a system that is designed to devalue the actual base currency, right? So going back to the devaluation of time. So this is where, like for me, I I became passionate about Bitcoin because I said, this is just not right. The ideals that my family came over to the United States with were the right ideas. Work hard, provide value, be able to provide for your family, right? And after my research and, and viewing and understanding of Bitcoin, Bitcoin allows me to return to those ideals that my family came over here with. Because there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There's a scarcity. There, there's scarcity. Um, there's no counterparty risk. So you buy that Bitcoin and you take your Bitcoin off of the exchanges. Because why? It, it is a bearer instrument. Right? When you say why, what do you mean? Why you are saying we should take the Bitcoin out of the exchanges? Yeah. So you have to think of um, Bitcoin as money. You know, Bitcoin is the bearer instrument. So if you hold the keys to the wallet, you are the owner of that Bitcoin, right? Like you got to think about it like Bitcoin is basically digital gold. And if you own uh, the keys or the combination to the lock, that's, that's your Bitcoin. So by holding your Bitcoin on an exchange, and again, these exchanges are, you don't, Um, you know, unless you look really hard into them, you don't know how they're financed. You don't know what their cash positions are. You don't know what type of risk uh, they're taking. But they currently hold the keys to your Bitcoin when you hold that Bitcoin on an exchange. And so you're counting on them to keep it safe. And you're counting on the promise of them to give you your Bitcoin when you call on them and say, hey, I want this or I want to sell it or whatever it might be. Um, and currently right now, uh, with the price of Bitcoin having um, descended from about 69000 to 20000 what we're finding is that some of these exchanges are, um, you know, that are promising th- things like interest rates on your Bitcoin and stuff like this, have been using uh, their clients' Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, to invest in overly risky type leverage situations to provide these returns. And so now as the price has crashed, 
it's put these uh, several of these companies in bad positions where they now have frozen your ability to remove your Bitcoin from the exchanges, right? So um, first of all, I would say first step is read a book. <laughs> read, read, read the Bitcoin standard. Okay. Second step, when you have some conviction, buy Bitcoin. Find a good exchange. Uh, one that I currently trust uh, is Swan Bitcoin. Um, they're, they have tons of information uh, about Bitcoin, tons of resources to look at. And they also allow you to, um, and are there for you, to help you get your Bitcoin off their exchange. That Bitcoin sits on their exchange. They see it as a liability. That's money that they don't own that they have to pay back to you. So they don't want it on there. They don't want that liability. Okay. So they are just helping you buy the Bitcoin and get you, withdraw it off. Yeah. And so I, 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 for the most part, trust trust them. I don't say I trust anybody wholly, right? The only the only person you can trust is yourself, right? But they at least provide you the resources. Third step, take take your Bitcoin off of the exchange, even if it's just getting it to a, a digital wallet that you have on your phone that produces your keys in what we call like um, like a hot wallet. where And a hot wallet is described as a Bitcoin wallet where your keys or your 24 or 12-word password, basically, uh, is created on that wallet. Um, so what is that hard, uh, hard wallet does? What's the difference between the platform and the hard wallet? What if I have the um, extension uh, wallet, which is on the on the exchange on the itself? Browser, yeah. So like MetaMask. Oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm not super familiar, honestly, with MetaMask. But you know, a, a, an open sourced, you know, you have to look up an open sourced wallet. So for me, it's either Blue Wallet or Moon Wallet, M-U-U-N. Um, and you can create a Bitcoin wallet on there. You know, do a small transaction from the exchange to that wallet to make sure you understand how it works. And again, watch some videos to feel comfortable. It's your money, right? So you don't want to lose. It's your energy. You don't want to just throw your energy out the window because you didn't pay attention. Um, once you've made the small transaction, then send... Send the balance. Just get it off the exchange because you don't want that risk, you know. But now you're in a situation where you have uh, a new variable that we're not used to, right? And that's self-custodying your own energy rather than uh, putting your trust in, in a bank or in an exchange to kind of hold uh, your money. Uh, and that seems like a little crazy, I think, to people in America, but I think in other countries, um, you know, specifically South American countries and African countries uh, and, and other third world kind of developing nations, um, the trust is not there with the banking system, right? First of all, it's not available to most of them. So they don't have the ability to just walk up to a bank and be provided financial services. Um, so Bitcoin allows them to be their own bank, Right. To, to take value and to store it in a place where they can hold it. Um, so that, that, is, uh, that is the good, a good third step. 
you've now eliminated the 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 counterparty risk of an exchange flopping like Mt. Gox, or recently we've seen Voyager uh, disallow the ability to remove your coins off of the exchange. Or Celsius, I believe. Yep, and Celsius as well. Okay. Right? So that's scary stuff for those people that that trusted those companies to hold their money. Yeah. They might have to wait 20 years until a class action lawsuit is filed to receive a portion of what they had on it. So there. let's say, um, okay, we're talking about small amount of money. One, one Bitcoin, $20,000. Mm-hmm. But there's people that have tons of money and... Uh, what they do, they either uh, put uh, their money in five different bank accounts mm-hmm. or they are keeping them in one bank, the whole value of the money, the whole amount, and that's a risk of them. If the, if the bank bankrupt, they are not willing to pay the whole amount of the money they, yeah. they, they carry there. So yeah, and, and again, it's, it's not something that's also common here, right? Like we saw the banks have issues in 2008, during the financial crisis, and the government bailed them out, right? And by the government bailing them out, they printed more money, right? They devalued <laughs> everybody's money to, you know, to help make those, the, those bankers whole. Um, What would you suggest to the people who want to buy Bitcoin instead of having dollars or euro or other currencies uh, in a big bulk, like let's say a million dollars of yeah. Bitcoin? where they should put it in, how they're going to uh, store it. Should they have it in one ledger? What is your suggestion? So I'm not in that position, <laughs> right? So this is, this is an evolving, uh, it's an evolving thing, right? Because new solutions are getting developed. They are introducing kind of like third, third parties. Uh, I think there's a company called like Casa that, that does some kind of uh, helping with custody services. Right. Uh, but b- before we get there, right, like the fourth uh, or the last step after getting your, your Bitcoin to uh, a digital wallet is to move over to what we call like a, a, a hardware wallet, which is a, a wallet, um, preferably that produces the keys to a new Bitcoin wallet offline. And so those those keys are, are that private key never actually gets put online, never touches the Internet. Uh, and you can keep the 12 or 24 word code again preferably on on metal or or somewhere where you know that if you lose that hardware wallet or you lose access to it for some reason that you always have a backup copy uh, of your Bitcoin code but you move over to something something like that right So basically that's your password and in each computer you go and access your, let's say, email. If you don't know your password and your account name, you cannot have access to your email. But you're saying if I have my fa- phrase everywhere and every computer I open it, I can access the blockchain and I can see, okay, that's my Bitcoin. It's right there. It's sitting there and I can, I can have access to it. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about what kind of what's going on and what's happening in Ukraine, right? Like, uh, I'm not going to dig too far into it, but an example of like why this is powerful is there are people all over the world trying to escape bad situations, right? Uh, you know, whether they be religious persecution, whether it be um, 
you know, there, there's, there's so many reasons. But in, in the case of Ukraine, right, people trying to uh, escape to Poland to kind of get out um, from the war. And again, they've worked so hard to save money and to do this and to do that. So how, when you have a country that's under a attack and you have your life's energy in a bank and those banks are shutting down because they're, you know, either getting bombed or because, you know, the government says, hey, you know, and this isn't the case over there, I don't believe, but the government's saying like, hey, we need your money to fund certain things. Uh, you know, there could to be... To fund the war. Yeah, to fund the war, whatever it might be. Um, to build, build new bridges and whatever, warehouses that were destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So, first of all, that's not fair, right? Like, nobody should be able to do that to your life's energy. They shouldn't be able to just confiscate it for, um, you know, that should be something that you have to voluntarily give up. But you're trying to escape, so those people trying to escape are then getting shook, shook down at the borders. Uh, you know, if they're carrying gold with them, maybe it gets confiscated. You know, if they got big bags of cash on them, it most likely gets confiscated as well. Um, but now all you need to do is be able to re remember 12 words or write down 12 words or, you know, find some way to get that information across the border. Right, and worst case scenario, maybe it's an email you send to yourself that you can ret retrieve your twelve words. Again, I would never say you know don't put your your phrase. phrase ever on the internet, right? If you can avoid it. But in that case, right, like send it to a Gmail address or send it to an email address that you know that once you cross the border, you can gain access to. And then if you have to send it to another Bitcoin wallet after that, uh, do that. But they're able to. Bring their wealth with them. This technology helps you move with your wealth. Like yeah. basically, we are like turtles. Like yeah. we carrying our life in our bag. Yeah, we carry our money everywhere we go, and that's our energy. Energy from our early stage of life that we are able to use if we go in another country or do yeah. whatever with it. So I mean. So for me, there, there's so many reasons why to be passionate about it. And that, that's why, you know, after I went down the rabbit hole, I started getting really passionate about it and thought, you know, man, I really want my friends to, to read this stuff and my family to understand it. Uh, you know, particularly my wife, you know, I want her to feel the same way about it and, and feel the same passion. And I said, you know, well, what's the best way to... You know, and I don't have any other Bitcoin friends at this point, right? So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I say, well, let's, uh, you know, I, I'm at a dinner with a friend and I said, have you ever thought about starting a YouTube channel? He's like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. Uh, who say that? You, you or do your friends? <laughs> no, my, my, my buddy, Wink. Nice. So, so my show started off originally, it was the weekly hodl with Shibs and Wink. Okay. And so my friend Mike Winkler said, yeah, let's do it. We both don't know anything about podcasting. We both don't know anything about um, YouTube stations. And we said, you know, let's do it. And he's passionate about credit cards. I'm passionate about Bitcoin. So he, he's he passionate about credit cards? Yeah, so he likes playing the credit card game, right? Like he, li he liked, uh, um, 
you know, making sure he was buying on the right credit cards to maximize points and rewards and flies to all different destinations, first class. And I love you know, that. Yeah. So he likes kind of game in the system that way. Right. Um, so we decided we start a podcast or we start not a podcast, a YouTube station. Uh, and we have a good time doing it. And I just said, hey, listen, if I can't find Bitcoiners, I'm going to create my own little community and start you know, start reaching out to people that way. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's been about a year and a half or something like that. Um, Wink has since moved on. He had some, uh, he works for a company called Chime and they're a financial company. And they, I don't know if they were getting into Bitcoin or not, but he was saying that they might run into some, some them. issue with his, um, you know. Being in a podcast like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Being in a podcast like that. And I said, okay, well, you know, thank you for your help and for letting me cross that border because it's hard to put content out there, right? You know? Same with me. I want to say thank you to Elena for helping me starting the podcast. And now all of a sudden, I may have to rebrand it and change it since she's not part of it anymore. She want to be a guest. No, I don't think she want to be a host again. But uh, yeah, it's good to have a buddy or a partner in life To push you. Yeah. To be like, hey, why don't you do that? I will help you start. And yeah. that's the kick, the first kick that you get. Yeah. And now it's, and again, I, I started it for me and my friends. And uh, and I, I, I love it. And it's a good way for me to keep an eye, again, on my, my investment thesis. Or my it's turning more into kind of a life thesis of how I think macro economy is going to go and how you know, things are going to shape up. And, and, and honestly, the more I learn about it, you know, watching countries like El Salvador and the Central African Republic um, adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, you know, countries that have nothing to lose, that are under, um, you know, that have currencies that are basically controlled by outside governments saying, hey, we want to opt into an open decentralized network uh, that, everybody is is able to join where our wealth can't be devalued uh, by the decision of an individual um, is is incredible and that makes me passionate and it makes me hopeful that I can go down the path that my parents came here with uh, of working hard and saving in a money that doesn't get devalued uh, and watching things like the lightning network you know which we talked about the other day so, secondary layer networks built on Bitcoin that allow for scaling. Um, it's cool to see what's happening there. Um, you know, buying a coffee with Bitcoin, uh, it seems to an outsider, like, you know, so what's crazy the difference? To do. What's the difference between the layer one and layer two? Layer one, it's recording every transaction on the block and uh, you don't want that. You don't want every transaction, let's say you're buying a gum or you're buying a coffee, as you say, to be... Uh, saved forever in the blockchain and that's why it's created layer two that you eventually can make little transactions many times which in the in the speed of light yeah go through it and you use the bitcoin network yeah 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 so from from my understanding right so the base layer network is deliberately designed right to be Uh, to choose both security and decentralization, right? There's another component to making Bitcoin 
available as a world currency. And that third component is scalability, right? Um, but for it to be decentralized and, and secure, there's been some choices that are made. And one of those choices being that um, it's, it's not easy to have lots of transactions. Uh, I think originally it was like something like seven transactions a second, right? Which is like way less than the Visa network and all these other networks. So um, as, as more people come onto that base layer system, those transactions end up taking longer and longer to process uh, and they become more expensive as the fees on the Bitcoin blockchain kind of go up. So it's not really scalable as a solution, right? Yeah. So the base layer is designed more or less as a, a perfect store of value, right? 21 million Bitcoin. If you own one Bitcoin, it will always be one of 21 million Bitcoin, right? So nobody can, nobody can change anything about that. But the second layer solution, something like Lightning Network, allows for the interaction uh, of, of members between each other. So like between me and you, we can open a channel and we can do 25 back and forth transactions. And those transactions don't clog up the base layer network. But when we decide to finally close uh, that channel, the, the net difference or the net change of what happened is then sent back to the main chain and closes out that transaction. And you can do this with more than just me and you. We can open this up with multiple people, right? So this allows for that scalability and that instantaneousness, right? We don't have to wait for uh, the next block to next. be mined, you know, 10 minutes yes. or, or even longer if you're waiting for fees to go low. Yes. So it's marginal fees, instantaneous transaction back and forth with each other. And, and this is, uh, and again, it's a bearer instrument, right? So we're sending gold across the world or in between us over this table instantaneously with finality and, and, and pure settlement, right? The settlement is over. We don't have to use um, a credit card system, right? So we're saving on fees as a vendor. You don't have to pay 3 4 5% fees to Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. You now have the ability to just bring in that value and have it settle. You also don't have to wait two weeks for Visa to pay you that money. Yes. You know, or, yes. or whatever that wait time is, right? I love that. So is, that it, is that the new type of American dream, Bitcoin to succeed? Um, you know, I, I think that Bitcoin lines up very well with American ideals um, as far as certain freedoms, right? You know, the yeah. freedom to own property, the freedom of to have privacy, um, you know, the freedom to not have your things seized w without like due process or without uh, voting, yeah. right? Like, so I think it aligns with so many things in American culture uh, and a lot of things that we've kind of given up for convenience over time, right? Like, again, we, tr we trust so many things. We put our information out there on the internet all the time and we don't even consider the ramifications of that because, hey, it lets me buy that pair of shoes faster, you know, yeah. <laughs> at Nordstrom Rack or wherever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, 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 I, so I think it aligns up 
very well with the American ideals. And it's both, it's both sides, right? Like the America loves to be, uh, and, and again, I think it's all a, a product of the system, right? The polarization of, you know, Republicans and Democrats and all this stuff, right? And everybody's so angry and, and, you know, the division of the rich and the poor just gets wider and wider and the middle class is getting blown out. And to me, all of this comes back to the money and the broken money. And I think that a lot can be fixed by, uh, a, you know, a censorship-resistant, um, decentralized, immutable currency. That's Bitcoin. That's why I'm passionate about it. That's why I do my show. And, um, yeah. For those of you guys who stay to the, to the end, please subscribe to Julian, my guest show, Weekly Horo. I'll put it in the description. Man, it was pleasure for me. Yeah, so it was, was a lot of fun. Pleasure, it was a lot of fun. We educate our you. I let you talk because you were describing it the way I couldn't. And I hope everybody listen it and understand it and will buy the first Bitcoin. What do you would you say about like uh, finish how you should buy the Bitcoin? Like it's a bear market right now. Would you recommend it? Uh, dollar cost averaging or yeah so i mean for me i'm not i'm not a trader i have no i don't want to trade bitcoin yeah it would be nice to be able to up my position but i don't know if the market's going up or down you know we know that there's stuff going on with the fed and inflation and certain things that have to happen if i had to guess i would probably say that bitcoin goes down more before it goes up uh you know back up to reach all-time highs but For me, it doesn't matter. I buy weekly. Uh, it's a savings account for me. Uh, and I more or less uh, think that every portion of Bitcoin, every Satoshi that I buy is for my grandchildren and it's not for me. Uh, and the way that our system is made now, I know that I never have to sell it because there's tools out there where you, you can borrow against your Bitcoin. So, you know, dollar cost average. And once you get a feel for it, if you feel like, you know, a dip is a dip, then buy the dip, you know, make some spot purchases. But again, first it's all about education, right? I don't really like telling anybody to buy anything. I would prefer to say, uh, I think that this is something really interesting that you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't spend the energy to learn about it. Awesome. That's a good ending to say. Well, thanks for, for being here one more time. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for staying till the end and see you in the next episode.